listening to NPR. No, this is not NPR, no. This is Brave New Radio, and if you're brave enough to be on the radio, it's the Are day we? before Halloween. <gasps> and it's mischief night tonight. Yes, it is. What sort of mischief will Dr. Esteban... call it here in Wayne. Really? Yes. I've never heard that. Oh. Really? Well, you've lived in Wayne longer than I. Just a shade. Just a mere shade, yet don't shade me. Right. I walked my dog with my daughter this uh, evening around 7 p.m. 7 a.m., that'd be silly. And uh, when we came back, everything was fine. I pulled out of my driveway, and the house across the street for me had been goosied. Ah. Yes, there had been mischief. Toilet paper? Much toilet paper, and I asked my daughter to get some to save us some money. Right. Why not save a buck, Dr. Esteban? I don't know. Speaking of bucks, you're listening to Music Biz 101 and more, the radio show that will save every DIY artist in the world bucks. (laughs) Hey, we have a student co-host with us tonight. Yes, we do, a grad student. His name is Denzel Garrick. Hello, everybody. Yeah, listen to that radio voice. And everything, getting the MBA and the music business. How's that going? All right. Going pretty well, you know. I'm under impressive leadership. Yes, With impressive. Doctor McCorney. Well, thank you. Yes, you know. So. Yeah, he's he's an impressive leader. Thank he, you. He really he really is. <laughs> and then we also have our uh, product of German engineering, Ashley Veltner. Over yes. here, Ashley Veltner. Ashley Veltner doing the engineering skills thing. Yeah, it's good to have you here, Ashley. Today. What a night! What a night! This is Ashley playing every instrument in the background, every scary <laughs> instrument. Hey, by the way, while you're frightening yourselves on this day before Halloween, which is technically All Hallows' Eve. Yes. Go to musicbiz101wp.com, sign up for that newsletter. comes out twice a week on Sundays at 6 and Wednesdays at 3.30 in the p.m. time. Follow us on the t- Instagram, the Twitter, the Facebook at musicbiz101wp. We got a podcast. Many of you are listening right now to the podcast, and you can hear it on iTunes, the SoundCloud, and the Spotify machine. Just fire that baby up and we'll do some listening. Mm-hmm. Garrick. Last name, Garrick. I want to call you Garrick. There used to be an anchor for NBC News, Garrick Utley. Oh, really? He okay. was very respectful, very good guy, 80s, 90s. Um, we should give thanks. We're going to give some thanks, okay? 
Okay. So, so pay attention because at one point you're going to do some help. So we want to give thanks to the folks at Van Dyne Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management because Denzel, with artists like Dave Matthews, Three Doors Down, Denzel Garrick, St. Vincent, and Kiss, there's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to VB. Hyphen.com when you're ready. We also want to give thanks to Christine. Oi. They Wealth. Oi. They, a wealth manager and the president of Oi. They Wealth Management. Christine's helped so many professionals, so many professionals all over the world, including the University of William Patterson, manage their investments, plan for the retirement. If you're looking for some guidance on how to plan for your retirement, if you have questions on anything from investments or portfolio management to insurance retirement planning, you should give Christine a call. Here's where Denzel helps us out. Give her a call, 732 I point at you, that means then you repeat. It's 732. In, it's international. If I point at you, it's international. You repeat what I say. 732. And you said it twice. 455. 455. 1,510. 1,510. You said it great. Email her, Christine, at baywealth.com for advisements. Managing your band, 6th edition. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Go. Leave the last, last one off for savings. And why would you not? Managing your uh, 6th edition, available. Just know that. William Patterson University, one of the top-ranked music business programs in all the world, according to the magazine Some Call Billboard. Mm -hmm. This is year 5.5 of this show. I have no they idea how many... Off yet. What? They haven't kicked us off. No, they still have not. It's going to happen soon enough. Yes. But not right now. And then uh, we have a great guest tonight. His name is Michael, quote, buck, unquote, Crowell. He, he will let us know if it's Kroll. Which you think? I think it's Crowell. He will let us know. Okay. He's the artist. Ma he's artist manager, regional director at Live Nation, and we want to have and welcome Michael Buck onto the show. Michael, how are you doing tonight? Michael, Michael, how you doing? Hello, hello. Hey, gents. How do we say your last name, Michael Buck? So, my father always said, "Crawl like a crow in a well." Right. Uh huh. Um. But my teachers and pretty much every single person around me always said Kroll, but it's it's technically Kroll. It is Kroll. Okay, so Marconi, okay. you win that. Well, thank you very much. You win much. that, but next time you won't be so Yeah, it's, it's a weird one. Ah. There it was... was Cromwell until Ellis Island, and then it was Kroll. Oh, uh, you there pretty we sure go. of that? Somebody left the M off? So you're pretty sure of that? that someone... I'm like 95% sure unless wow. my parents just lied, but yeah. that's always possible, too. Very well, interesting. Yes, very interesting, too, because my name is Marconi, but it's spelled with an E at the end and not an I. So we thought for years at LSI when they didn't dot an I, and it became an E. Then my cousin told me that there are, are tons of Marconi spelled with an E in a eastern coast town of Italy called Fosia. Fosia. So I learned something new. Is that a word we can say on radio, Fosia? Yeah, you could. Uh, Ashley, can, can we say Fosia on the radio? We can say Fosia. Is it behind you on that list? I'm looking for the word Fosia no, on the list of words that we list. cannot say on the radio. We can no. say Fosia. So, um, Buck, say Fosia as often as you would like. That is the word of the day. Got it. Fosia. Okay, so <laughs> you did, you Brookdale did well. Community College. Yes, briefly. I did, did you know, oh, you didn't stay too long? Did you know the guy that ran the electronic music and so on? It was no, it's funny. I, I didn't even study music there. I, I kind of, I couldn't, I, I pretty much took all the one-on-ones and music, I, no music courses. Uh -huh. um, but I, I left, you know, I barely finished because um, mm -hmm. I had got offered a, a position at Virgin Records. So I, you know, 
I decided to stay in New York. Sure. So how did you network yourself so early in your post-high school career? Honestly, my uh, my friend James Wells, who was in a band called The Gay Blades, I don't know if you guys remember that band. No. Um, pretty awesome two-piece. Um, he was he was the uh, promotions director for Virgin Records, and you know that was when they actually had a promotions department where they were submitting music videos and all that fun stuff, like mm-hmm. physically, like physically bringing them down to, you know, MTV and VH1 and all that, and showcasing music videos. It was pretty incredible. Anyway, so I he'd asked me to intern randomly because I was just always at shows and whatever, and I went in there and was interning for about three months. Um, until so the senior vice president um, looked at me and was like, dude, you've been wearing the same outfit for three days. Like, what's going on here? <laughs> and I was like, I just, I'm in it to win it. You know, I was there Monday, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. till 8 p.m. Um, and she was like, be my assistant. I just, uh, I just promoted James to uh, the director. And that was, that was my first gig. It was, uh, it was pretty awesome. It was pretty interesting to, uh, you know, jump, jump in like that. Mm-hmm. So just going above and beyond right off the bat, really showing off the passion, that's how you're able to, to to make your way through. Well, what's funny is it's crazy. To this day, I'll never like – it's nuts. So I literally started as her assistant, Amani Duncan now. She's SVP at Viacom, totally killing it. But I, I'm there for about a month and a half, and James looks at me, and he's like – Hey, I, I want to let you know something. I'm like, what's up? He's like, I'm, I'm out of here in two weeks. Hmm. I'm like, dude, what? Like, I'm just learning how to do her expenses and, and like, transfer the phone. Like, I don't, like, <laughs> you're literally running the whole entire department. There's no one else in this department. He's like, yeah, I'm out of here. So he leaves. I sit where he's sitting. And I look at Amani, and I'm like, what? what's going on here? Like, you know, someone coming in. She's like, no, nah, we don't really have the budget. I'm like, so what happens? She's like, I don't know, dude. You're just going to have to do both. So I'm like 22, <laughs> assisting the senior vice president, and now also the vice president because she had just hired somebody, and literally running this department with like three interns. Mm-hmm. It, was, it, was, it, was, it was really – it was probably the most intense year of my life, but, you know, I'm not going to take it back because, you know, it kind of like – it's it's a no better way to start, you know. It's like you just go right into it and go right just in, like yeah. figure it out, you know. Like I didn't have time to question anything. I didn't have time to ask anyone anything. It was just like, dude, figure it out. And right. she was nice enough to like little things here and there, but I, you know, after three months, I couldn't ask her any for little things because she's dealing with you know way way deeper uh, mm-hmm. situation. So it was cool. You know, mm-hmm. I went through there, and then they merged um, with Capital. Capital so I went to Capital right. Music Group, and then yep, and then I was promoted to a, a development, an artist development manager, which was was fun for about two years. Um, and then they basically the Terra Firma buyout, and the entire marketing team pretty much either moved to LA or you got laid off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was that was the tenure at, at Virgin Capital, which was a pretty cool way to start off the career. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was definitely interesting. Um, then, then you went to tour management, yes, or yes. you went to tour. No tour management. Yeah, and then I I kind of jumped into my my friends um, who I manage now to uh, the Parlor Mob. They were on uh, on Roadrunner, mm-hmm. and uh, they just got signed by Roadrunner, and they um, Bill McGappy at Indigo picked them up, and 
they were like, dude, we need a tour manager. And I was like, well, cool. I kind of just got laid off and I got some severance, so let's do this. So I traveled with them for a few years. And in between, I was picking up other gigs, Nicole Atkins. And it's funny enough, the weekend, like, you know, R&B The Weekend, who is now, like, absolutely massive. When right. he was doing um, House of Blues tour, I, I legit drove a production truck. <laughs> like, literally, bottom of the barrel, just drove around this huge truck with about a million dollars worth of gear in it but it was funny at the time his ep just came out and i was a massive fan like i just i love that original stuff and i was just like yeah i'll do it i just you know like if i could see this dude live every night i'm, I'm down with it and the pay was obviously great so um so that was a cool experience because you, you know at that time i was the first time i was dealing with like really high up agents and managers Mm -hmm. So, um, and the tour manager, he, this guy's been doing it for years. So I was just like asking him a million questions. Like, right. what do you do with this? What happens with this? What happens with that? So you're networking yourself so, too. Yeah, no, it was excellent. Um, I mean that, and I, you know, that back, that backstage was, was, was pretty interesting. So that was kind of cool to witness, um, you know, being a kid and just being like, what is going on back here? So this mm -hmm. is what they do back here. Ah, so yeah, that was interesting. Um, but I, you know, I was, I was done with the road. I, I you know, I didn't, I didn't want to do it any longer because I knew, you know, I've seen older tour managers and there's nothing wrong with it, but you know, I just, it wasn't for me. I wanted mm -hmm. to be more creative and I wanted to dig into stuff and, you know, I really wanted to, uh, you know, just see what else is out there. All right. Um, so is this, this when you picked up the front bottoms? Yeah. So getting back from touring a little bit, I I moved to Asbury, Asbury Park, um, and this is before all the bars and all the clubs and everything was there. Mm -hmm. Besides the Saint, the Pony, and Wonder Bar, um, you know, the entire city pretty much revolved around that. And I think Brick Wall and Porta had just opened up. Mm -hmm. um, but I was basically booking shows in the lanes. Um, with all the old school lanes cats, like you know Jen and Mikey and all those guys, and mm -hmm. we were doing a lot of stuff, a lot of like really cool shows. Um, and at the same time, the there was a radio station down there, the Hawk, and they had the same partners had started um, Save Alternative, which was it was an online station, you know, pretty much all indie rock. Um, they had great programming, so basically they had they took they dragged me in. They're like, we want you to book our shows help with programming, do whatever the hell else you want to do because, you know, we can't really pay you that much. So then I was, like, booking shows, and that's when um, I'd, you know, you have, like, your top five bands that are, that are in the area that can always bring tickets, right? So I'd booked one of our Save Alternative showcases at, at the Lanes and literally, tw you know, like, eight bands. Um, and it was, like, a Wednesday, I think, or Thursday. And <clears throat> doors were at 6.30, band at 7, and then the front bottom's on at 7.30, and there was like 150 kids that knew every word. Mm. And then they finished. They played literally 20 minutes set. It was just Matt and Brian at the time. And then they came off stage, went and got a beer. And I looked back out, and there was like four people there. Mm. Like literally 145 kids left. Wow. So I'm like talking to them. I'm like, what's going on here? Like, well, like, what? Are, like, I mean, I've seen you guys a bunch of times, and I put you on a lot of shows, but like, what the hell was that? And they're like, hey, it's just kind of been happening lately. <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, it was just wild. And, and we started talking. And I was like, well, you know, what's the deal? What's going on? You know, my buddy Billy and I are starting to manage, manage some bands. And, you know, we kind of have our, our hands in a couple things. And they had just signed a bar none. And mm. 
you know, they didn't really have an agent or a manager. So I was like, all right, well, let's keep talking. And I heard that, you know, Andrew Ellis was, was also talking to them. Um, and I texted him. And I was like, hey, are you talking to the Front Bottoms guys? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I was like, let's go see him together. And he's like, all right, let me call you back. He calls me back, and he's like, all right, can they play tomorrow at Maxwell's at 630? Mm. I'm like, uh, sure. I, I mean, I guess I'll ask him. Call the drummer, text him, or whatever. And I was like, can you can you be up at Maxwell's at 6:30 tomorrow? And he's like, sure. So we go up there, and uh, it's like doors at six, and they played at like 6:15. There was no one in there because they didn't even promote it. Uh, but you know, I was already in, in love, and I was like, I dude, I want to work with them no matter what. And and right. Andrew was like, yeah, me too. So we were in the basement at Maxwell's, which I'm sure you guys remember. Everyone remembers old yeah. Maxwell's basement, and we. Just the four of us sat there and were like, "You guys want to do this?" Like, "Yeah, let's do it." It made sense, and and it's been, you know, a pretty crazy ride since that moment. You know. So when you first saw them, did they have any product out? Um, no, because they had literally just signed Barnon, uh. so the record wasn't out yet, like the actual full length. You know, because basically the self-titled was two EPs that they matched together. Mm. You know, because they, they had already given those songs out for free for the most part. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was their thing. Was like they were putting all this their music out. They were just giving it away. Right. They're just telling people just take it, download it until it gets pulled down. Because mm-hmm. there was no copyright issues. You know, everything was owned by them. It was them. Yeah. When so was, it kind of just like went nuts a little bit. This was around 2010, 2011. <sighs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, right. What year is it now? I'm just trying to do math <laughs> here. End of 19. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So then how'd you get hooked um, up with Live Nation? Yeah, so, I mean, basically, you know, we, we had put that record out with, with Bar None, and it was just kind of like really digging into it and get them on the road. And, you know, they weren't, you know, they were still trying to, trying to you know, get to the point where they're making money, you know. And mm-hmm. so, of course, I had to do other things to, to figure that out. Um, so I started working for Madison Marquette, who is a, is a development company that bought, the Stone Pony, the Wonder Bar, you know, Convention Hall. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, they had hired me to be like their in-house promoter, marketer, whatever. Um, so I was working with them, and, and they had just done a, a deal with Live Nation um, where they were exclusive bookers, right? So Stone Pony Summer Stage, the Stone Pony, all the venues. So I was always hanging around a lot of those shows, and um, Sean Striegel, I'd, who's the SVP for basically he's like the SVP for all of Live Nation New York, the New York DMA within the club division. And Asbury, that was his contract. So we kept talking and I was still booking shows and I was I was starting to like book a bunch of like really good stuff and he pulled me aside and was like, dude, you're like kind of competing with me right now. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I got to eat, man. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was just like, why don't you just, whatever you're doing, just come deal with us. You know, we'll, we'll pay you. And at that time, they had, they had just bought the Wellmont. Well, not fully, but they were exclusive to the Wellmont Theater. So he was like, I need you to help launch the Wellmont Theater and work on the Stone Pony Summer Stage and whatever else you're doing. So that was my, that was how I started there. Um, and I kind of just like, I, I dove right in, um, you know, working at the New York office and spending time in Asbury and just trying to figure out how we can, help develop Asbury's market and, and Wellmont, the venue itself, um, to make it easier for these guys to, to bring in bigger acts and, you know, overall just awareness and, you know, the 100-mile radius, if you will. Mm-hmm. 
that was kind of kicked how I kicked off there. And then things kind of changed for the better over here. Um, they basically merged Jersey, New York and Long Island within the marketing department. Um, basically cause we, the first year there, I was in Vegas for one of our conferences and I, uh, kind of had one, one too many in me. Um, <laughs> so I didn't really have, uh, it wasn't really scary, let's say. And I looked at Sean and, and, and his direct and I was like, I don't know why you guys don't have the marketing department set up like the booking department, right? So the booking department, they have a handful of bookers and they all book Long Island, New Jersey, New York, whatever, anything that falls under our division mm-hmm. locally. I'm like, but you have all the marketing separated. So like a Jersey marketer, a Manhattan marketer, a Long Island marketer, and they don't really talk. It's all separated. I'm like, it doesn't make sense. You should have one department. Everybody should be involved with everything. And you just had somebody oversee it. I'm like, yeah, I, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. Obviously, there were some curses, and there was a lot of other stuff mm-hmm. in between that. <laughs> um, but I, I, I don't know what happened. You know, a month later, basically, Sean pulled me aside and was like, you know, remember your drunk rant in Vegas? I was like, yes. He's like, well, that's that's what's happening. So they had merged it, and now it's it's basically one unit, um, and it's pretty cool because I was able to in the last four years we've hired like four or five people that all work right here. That are all connected with everything with basically in like the hundred mile radius. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty cool. Um, you know, to have helped do that and, and watch everything develop and you know, the booking team here and the, uh, the whole company in general obviously is pretty wild right now, but everything that's happening here is just like it's it's pretty electric. Mm-hmm. So are you booking and doing marketing? Are you at Live Nation? Which are you doing? So now? basically, um, the position now basically is how the how the company is set up is where they it used to be two vice presidents and then marketers right and now it's instead they reverted to um, eight regional directors around the, around uh, the country. country but yeah yep so I'm one of them so basically we're doing less day to day marketing but but we're not technically doing booking right like I'm not an agent's not calling me and getting hold but we because we have a separate budget now it is part of our jobs to help bring in other business, right? So, for instance, we just recently, um, I'd set up a monthly series with MTV where we're doing all their push campaigns with all the record labels. Again, that's a yearly contract. So stuff like that where they have us, like, listen, you know, we don't need you to help book anything, but we need you to actually um, try and help bring in business. So that's kind of some of the stuff that I'm bringing in. Like last year we did um, this thing with Noisy with Vice where we did a monthly series with them. Um, and you know, it's like sponsorship money came in through that. So it's, so we're basically trying to take our day to day contacts and, and take them deeper into where we can help bring in more business, which technically is actually better for the bands that are coming through. Right. Because you have an artist that played the vice series and they had never really gotten covered on vice, but now they're completely in the system. Right. So I have a manager that would call me and be like, dude, I couldn't break vice because they played you know, they were an opener on that show. Now they're writing about us. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it kind of reverts back to, like, the whole artist development thing, right? Like opportunities for, obviously, people to make money, but a little bit extra for, you know, a particular artist that maybe was having a hard time in, in a particular, you know, type of media or whatever it is. It's mm-hmm. interesting that uh, the promoter, Live Nation, is doing that because that's also something you can see some – company like CAA or UTA or WME, mm-hmm. you know, an agency who have branding specialists as well could try and do the same thing. Are you, do you find yourself competing 
with people from those uh, from that area of the industry? I personally don't think so, mm-hmm. um, because we're we're actually the ones trying to help develop their artists, right? Because what we're doing is we're not just doing it for us. We're doing it for all these tours and all these acts that are coming through, and, and particularly with a lot of the agents that we work with on a day-to-day. You know, like you have a handful of agents that do a lot of business with us, whereas they'll call me in the beginning before we even confirm a show, and they're like, hey, just want to let you know, like, I know this seems like a metal band, but can you plot, can you try and take, like, a really hip angle with it? And it's like, yeah, totally. Like, thanks for the heads up. And it's like, okay, cool. We'll go down like the Brooklyn Vegan route, right? Or like Revolver is trying to make a turn, and they're kind of like starting to do a little bit more hip stuff. So it's, I don't think so, to be honest with you. I mm-hmm. think that it's it's all fair playing field. And in in reality, I just get more of those phone calls. You know what I mean? Where it's like, hey, this this is coming through, and and this is how I want it to be perceived. You know? And then I can go to the the marketing team and say, hey, look, like. I know they used to be a pop punk band, but you know now they're really trying to go a little bit more harder indie. Like you know, like let's let's just keep that in mind. You know what I mean? So you're crea- yeah. you're ultimately creating more opportunities for the agents and for the bands. Yeah, I mean we're trying to develop as a yeah. business overall. So it's like, you know, and again, I'm I'm not a huge fan about talking about competition, right? Like I'm I love all the guys at AEG and all the co-promoters, like. We work with them, obviously, because I, I work with bands that play for both, right? It's not about that. It's about us developing as a market because it's it's so hard to develop bands in general, and especially in New York because there's so many shows happening. Like, if you were to go, oh, my rockness right now, I mean, you could see how many shows are happening in New York, right? So mm-hmm. if I look at it and I'm like, okay, you're an indie band playing up against 27 bands, what are we going to do that's going to help sell the show knowing that you have all this competition. Like, how are we going to make these kids come here instead of Terminal 5 or whatever? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the battle. We'll, we'll retry and figure out ways to do that so agents can look back and be like, well, we should play this little bit of a bigger room because Buck and his team, we know they're going to go, like, full tilt to help sell the show. So it kind of gives everybody a little bit more, I guess, comfort, you know, to, to, to maybe step it up, right? Like, we have the Gramercy Theater, 650 into Irving Plaza and and a lot of bands have that like they're kind of scared to make that step when they're doing that right and it's like well we'll go to the buyer and say well why don't I put together a marketing plan that will help them feel more comfortable about doing that you know and if it gets to 850 we'll make it look good so it kind of helps also like agents and managers figure out their next step in in when they're rerouting bands I mean it's all bands do now is tour so yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's really cool because uh, that is artist development and Live Nation is a promoter. And the cool thing is that's promoting shows, what you're doing. And uh, there are a lot of, uh, on the DIY scene, pre-agent, you know, a lot of bands before they get the agent, the bands are basically their own promoter. And sometimes there are some local guys who say, I'll, I'll promote your show. Um, here's how the split's going to be at the door and this kind of stuff. And you'll say, so what are you doing to promote the show? And they'll say, well, I'm going to put up a Facebook event page. And what else are you going to do? That's right. it. You know? Yeah, okay, right. so you're getting uh, 40% of the door because you're putting up a Facebook event page, um, which isn't promotion. Yet you're doing, obviously you're doing it a little higher level than the DIY band, but you're doing something and that's to be applauded. Absolutely. I mean, and look, it's, for us, you know, we try and save as much money as possible. And, and I think going with the media partnership situation is, is way better, right? Like, you know, Dave from Brooklyn Vegan, he literally texts me, he's like, dude, can you give me an Iron Maiden? Like, totally. Next day, I'm like, hey, 
I need a dedicated email for this show. I really need it. Like, it's a big, you know, this band's been around 15 times in the last two, two cycles. Like, I, I need help. I need, I need you to help me out here. And he's like, boom, he's got it, no problem. So I think us working with all the media within New York and making good with them, it makes our jobs a lot easier because it's just, it's, that's relationships, you know what I mean? That's partnerships. And I've learned that going back to when, you know, when I was intern in Virgin, you know, and I learned how my boss at the time made these relationships with MTV and VH1. And I, I was like, okay, wow. So literally scratch each other's backs and I, and mm-hmm. everyone's in, everyone's in, everyone's trying to do the same thing, right? Like for me, I'm going to help market my bands because we sell more tickets, we make more money, but then the bands also feel better about playing in New York for us. So when they come back around, they know they took care of us, right? And then mm-hmm. the manager needs the same thing. Everybody feels better about it, and we're just yeah. trying to do the same thing. So it's like, why not do it together? Yeah, that was the old way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Now it's back. Yeah, it's very it's old school. Yeah. But that's great, and we talk about artist development, and that's what that is, because from your perspective... You want them, like you just said, you want them to play Gramercy, which is a 650 room, go to Irving Plaza, mm-hmm. graduate from our Irving Plaza to the next level. And we're talking clubs and ballrooms, and that's where Sean Striegel's doing. And then, you know, eventually, can they do the arena thing? Can they open up for yeah, Exactly. You know? And we have, you know, Pier 17, which yeah. last year yeah. literally got Venue of the Year. It's first year open. So it's like, mm. we want you to play that. We want you to sell that out. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like I think Billie Eilish, we had her at Irving – I mean, it's a completely different story, but it still felt cool to, like, have her at Irving, have it blow out, and then she comes back around and does, you know, she's going to do, like, two gardens. And it's just really cool to see, you know, especially when you watch the progression of artists. Yeah. Um, you know, and then you kind of stand there with the agent or the manager, like, five years into it, and you're like, dude, remember when we played Mercury Lounge, and now we just did, you know, Hammerstein? Yeah. At a $60 ticket. I'm like, yeah, I remember that. Like, yeah, text, of course. Like, that's why we're here, man, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we had Rob Light from CAA on a few weeks ago, and he was using Maggie Rogers as an example. I don't know if you, that's you or AEG promoting that, but she recently played Radio City, sold out Radio City for mm-hmm. two nights, I think, in the city. Yeah, yeah, that was that was really impressive. Like when that came through, I mean, dude, Rex Orange County is doing two Radio Cities. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding? Mm-hmm. That's insane. Yeah. It's just fun to watch, you know. It's just it's really it's just really fun to watch, and especially on the management side, is it's really cool because. You know, you're, you're also, I'm doing the same thing, you know, and, and especially with the front bottoms, like their whole story is incredible, you know, and, you know, really no radio and no commercial success, but they what they built is, you know, you can't pay for it. You can't write it. You, you know, mm-hmm. I've sat with a million labels and they're like, how did you do that? It's like, they just, they were honest and they kept to themselves and mm-hmm. they did what they wanted to do. And I helped control that and I helped make sure that they they were allowed to do that by being themselves, you know, and I think that there are so many bands now doing that, and it's just, it's really fun to say. Well, no, they were at Ramapo College, right? Yeah, yeah, Brian went there. Oh. Right. Okay, we have a tweet. Yes, uh, we have some uh, tweets that we're going to read to you during the show, and this is from students, and uh, Denzel's going to read you tweet numero uno. Uh, hello there. Uh, the first tweet is from Crystal. Um... She said, um, if being a manager is a full-time job and you can't do anything but focus on your artist slash band, how do you manage to balance both being a committed manager and having a high-level position at Live Nation? The answer to the question is, is 
I'm able to do both because I work at a company that has my back and wants me to do both. You know, it's basically how everything is uh-huh. kind of gets turned into one, right? Like everything I do is for the better of that, for the band that I'm working on. And then also for the, the show that I'm working on. It's kind of like a long, longer answer, but to give you a short answer is because I work in a place where I'm able to do both mm-hmm. and, and, and everything I'm doing is appraised in both ways. And that makes sense. You can yeah. see how, um, yeah. you can definitely see how the experience at Live Nation makes you a better manager just from whether it's the contacts to just the experience, to understanding the system, to meeting agents, all of that. And I would think also from the uh, Live Nation perspective, why being a manager makes that better because you understand the way managers think. You understand the way younger bands are thinking and what they want, what they desire, and you can market to that as well and hopefully get more promo- uh, artists to promote. Am I? Is that sort of what you're thinking, what they're thinking? Yeah, ab- I mean, absolutely. I mean, a, a lot of the people that I work with that I talk to, it's they're associated with, with the company in, in some way, shape, or form, you know, and, and it's like everyone's dealing with people at Live Nation no matter what, you know, and mm-hmm. Live Nation now is heavily focused on touring, and Live Nation has an incredible marketing department, especially in the touring division. So if Live Nation is, you know, they just, they were the first ones to set up an I.O. with, you know, Instagram ads and Twitter, you know, whitelisting ads. So I learned about that about six months before anyone else can do it. So, of course, when the front bottoms of the tour going up, you know, I call the, you know, the social media person. I'm like, hey, let's start doing whitelisting ads. He's like, I don't know what that is. And I'm like, well, it's, you're going to find out in about two months. So it's kind of cool. You get to like, I, I, I can hear things that are happening way far in advance than other promoters or anyone really because companies so big, they do so much business with a lot of this media that we're able to get in on things way early. So, I mean, for me, it's, mm-hmm. you know, you have access to a lot more than you think. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for another good tweet because we've covered a bunch of stuff already that these people are tweeting about. Um, a lot of people like you sent a new picture in today, so I think a lot of people really like the picture. So, it was so just literally, I, I don't think I've ever taken headshots. Um, and it was funny because they, they were doing that for free, like in the lobby. And I walked uh-huh. by and I was like, I'm doing this thing tomorrow. They uh-huh. might need a photo. And she's like, yeah, sit down. Ah, that was funny. It was kind of just random to be honest with you. All right. Here's a question from Tyler. Um, Tyler asks, um, your band, um, The Front Bottoms, have, haven't put out a full album since 2017, yet they've released the EP and several singles. How big of a part did you play in this release strategy is the first question. And the second one is, what can you say on releasing singles versus albums, even for rock bands? So I think, I think everything needs to be you know, thought about. I mean, sometimes there are songs that just don't make sense with with any other you know, any any other piece of art, right? Like End of Summer, it was just it was a feeling like that was just a song that they had been working on for a little while and they were like, you know what, we just want to put this out. It's literally the end of summer. Really no particular reason, but we don't see this matching with anything else. And it's like, okay, well let's just put it out. There's no reason not to. It doesn't matter. There's no rules anymore, really. You can kind of do whatever you want. Um, but we do still like the idea of doing full lengths because that's how our label operates. You know, they, I mean, they do everything right, but they like the idea of having full lengths, and, and especially with a band like the Front Bottoms, there's a lot of business in that because you know, especially with vinyl now, um, it actually does really well with the band. You know, because on tour, people buy vinyl like left and right, so that's kind of a good thing. And the band always likes having like a full piece of art, 
especially like when you hold a vinyl and sit down and listen to it. To them, they feel like that's very important. But the whole thing about the random singles is kind of just like, you know, if, if it comes up, or like the co-release we did with Manchester, that was just something that had just happened. They were in the studio one day together, and they were like, dude, should we just put this out? And it's like, yeah, why not? So I don't know if there was any much crazy thought behind that. It was kind of just like, you know, this is something that we think that everyone else should hear. And as far as timing-wise, it was kind of just was just random how it worked. But I do think that when in your earlier stages, um, the whole single mentality, I think putting out as much music as possible is absolutely a no-brainer because, you know, you see a lot of bands like Briston Maroney and a couple of these other kids where they're just dropping singles every three months. It's just, it's smart because the playlisting alone, you know, you're getting tons of marketing out of it. And if you find the right partners and any of the DSBs and they keep giving you love, you're going to keep getting spins, you're going to keep getting spins, and it's going to kind of turn. I mean, that's kind of like the grandson mentality of, of what we can say because, you know, that kid kind of like really turned around with just doing playlisting. So I think it really depends, you know. I think you can, if you can balance a way to do both with just dropping singles and then also finding a way to like do a full length and, and putting it out properly with like an artistic vision, then you kind of win win both ways there. So in a day like today, when you're obviously you're talking to us and you had your day job at Live Nation, just today specifically, what did you do, if anything, with the front bottoms as the manager? And I know it's different from day to day, but like specifically today, did you do anything interesting? Yes, spoke with our agent. Mm-hmm. We went through some offers. We we're talking about next year, but we can't dig into too so much stuff because the um, the singer is um, he's kind of uh, away for the week, so we can't really dig into some some of that stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, we got to think about it. It's actually been a long day. Yeah, I have that. Um, let's see, I had lunch with a manager friend that is friends of mine talking about what's happening in the summer. Um, spoke with our agent, spoke with one of the guys about getting everything ready for Mexico because um, the front bottoms are doing a uh, Corona Capital. Um, you guys heard of that festival down there in Mexico City? No, have not. No. It's, okay. It does 150,000 people a day. Wow. When is it? Yeah. Uh, November, I think the second weekend. Oh, okay. So mm-hmm. it's a couple weeks. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know, you know, just, just random stuff. It's like the day, I don't know, I feel like my days are kind of just like a sit down. It's just like, I don't know, just kind of crank things out. Mm-hmm. Really not calculating, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. A lot a lot moving at once. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, for that, for, uh, let me go back, take a step back to um, the, who who is their agent and what's their agency? Uh, Andrew Ellis at APA. Okay, so that's when you said Andrew Ellis, okay, at APA. I was wondering if uh, yep. that was a, you were co-managing at the beginning when you said Andrew Ellis, okay. Oh, but, no, sorry, yeah, yeah, I should have been more clear. Yes, the Andrew Ellis at the time, I think he was at Paradigm, but now he's at APA. So, yes, he, he's an agent that we were working with um, on another act. Um, so that's, you know, why I texted him, like, dude, are you looking at this band? He's like, yes. So he, he and I went in together and said, hey, He's going to be your agent. I'm going to be your manager. I understand. Okay. Wow. So that, that yep. clears that. That's cool. Okay. Yeah, sorry so that, about that. That, yeah, we're really mad at you. But the, the great thing for the band is um, not only they're getting a manager, but they're getting an agent on the same day. I mean, I'm sure mm-hmm. they went home and they, you know, had a little pillow fight in their pajamas that they never told anybody because they were so excited about that. Wait, say it, which part? <laughs> 
the fact that they signed any band that's you know especially indie band they you know, pinched yeah yeah they they pinched themselves because they uh, got an agent and they got a manager on the same day. I mean most oh, right. most bands would well, be tickled pink. I think these guys, Matt and Brian, are very special humans. Um, they're they're ones where they won't do anything with anyone unless they really know you and trust you. So I think it wasn't. It was more along the lines of like, you know what? I feel comfortable with you. I believe that you care about me enough to where you care about my career, and I think that this is going to be a great partnership. That's kind of how they approach everything, which I think is amazing. Like I've learned from those guys more than I think anyone, you know, especially how they work and their work ethic and their decisions and everything is so calculated and what they want to do and how they want to do this and who they want to work with. So I don't know if it was along the lines of like, let's celebrate. It was kind of just like, yeah, I mean, this, this really makes sense and, and let's do this, you know, let's get to work. And it's like the next day you start. Cool. Okay. And then they were on bar none there through Fueled by Ramen now, correct? Or is- I guess. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it that for them that a label does, especially Fueled by Ramen, for a band like the Front Bottoms that they can't do on their own? So Fueled by Ramen. Um, first off, their whole team, um, they, they merge with Electra, but it still doesn't matter. It's still Fueled by Ramen. Their team is incredible. Um, I mean, they have a full staff of everyone, like from PR to radio to merch, you know, the cool thing with, with them is Mike Easterlin, who's the president, mm-hmm. um, he had a big, he had a big, uh, play in their signing. Um, I mean, he basically signed them. Um, at the time there was a third party, like a contractor, A&R, um, Sue Christian, who he and I were talking and, um, so Mike Eastlin went out and saw a college show. I think it was Rutgers. Um, that was like the only show we had, but Mike was like, I got to see him. So Mike went out and he saw them. Um, and at the time, they had the big blow-up TFB, uh, like, you know, letter balloons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, they had it backwards. Um, and to this day, he he doesn't know if they did it on purpose or not. Um, mm-hmm. And I think they did, but no one really knows. But I think it helped. He, like, just looked at it and was just like, you know, a ton of kids. And, you know, they misspelled their the letters and he just the whole way of just like you know brian wearing socks and gym shorts and a t-shirt and he just i mean he fell in love so mike has a big part of it because he's you know we have our a and r department but he likes to like really be involved with everything um and then the most important thing is there's a you know our product manager chris is highly involved and the digital team that they have is just amazing you know from from web to email to socials it's just they have incredible ideas and um, you know, they're, they're really smart with spending, which is smart nowadays because you never know when a song's going to pop off. You don't want to spend your money in the beginning. You want to be, you know, you want to like be calculated and they're just so hands-on and just, they really know what they're doing. So I think with a band like the Front Bottoms, it's, it's huge because it's, you know, it's not like pop or, or, or urban where you just go to radio and hope a song, a song works. It just doesn't work that way. So, um, I think in that way they're they're pretty they're very open minded. So I think just allowing the band to be themselves, but also have input where, you know, they can perfect things. I think is a good combination. So kind of like a, it's really just a really good relationship. You know, it's not like, hey, where's the record? Oh, cool. There's nothing here for radio. I don't know what we're supposed to do. Good luck. Go on tour. You know, it doesn't go that way. 
And it's good. That's probably the right label for you anyway. We had Joe Riccatelli, the co-president of RCA Records, in a couple weeks ago. And um, the way they're structured and the way they're set up, they're for pop. RCA is about pop music and maybe hot AC, like uh, like mm-hmm. Pink, for example. Um, but we were talking about rock, and um, he was saying it's, it's tough for uh, major labels to promote rock these days because there's not a lot of play on radio. Mm-hmm. And that's a big thing that the labels can provide is radio. And um, for the, the acts that they sign, it's, it's, it's not really worth it. Well, we've had Mike Easterly on as well. Easterly, yeah. And Mike's the one who introduced us, so we should give Mike a hand. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Right. always a shout-out to Mike. Mike's, Mike's a man. I mean, and look, he's, he's, he understands that as well. You know, I mean, that's the thing. Is like on, this, on the last record, you know, it was probably the most radio thump bottoms I've ever gotten, you know, but it's not enough to build a record around it, you know, and I think, you know, I think the guys now approach the record just being like, I'm going to write a front bottoms record. And I hope that there's going to be a song or two on here and that the label will feel comfortable enough to try and go to radio again, you know, but it's not built around that. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, we want to get bigger. We want to make sure that the old school fans are still, still happy, you know, because they're a big, big part of the reason as to why the band is so successful. So they're, they're always in thought, you know, when, when approaching anything, approaching a tour, artwork, everything. I mean, Matt and Brian are so conscious of, of their old school fans. It's like, it's insane. So I think Mike holds on to that, but also wants them to grow sonically. So it's like, we just try and balance it out, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, for, for revenue streams for the band. Um, which, uh, it's, uh, my guess would be live is their biggest revenue stream. You can correct me if I'm wrong and I'm not looking for numbers. I'm just looking specifically at the categories. Do you, do you, th- are they making more through their, uh, their, per- uh, their performance rights organizations, their pro, whether it's ASCAP or BMI, or are they making more from sound exchange? I'm curious for a band like that. Um, I think it honestly depends. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you know, if we had, like, how active we are, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I think that actually kind of fluctuates overall or, like, quarterly. I guess, I guess it's kind of like a, I don't know if it's that easier of a question because it kind of depends. Um, when we're in cycle, we're off cycle, we just put new music out. Mm-hmm. Um, how about this? Overall, it's... Yeah. Are you getting a lot of love from, like, SiriusXM and um, I'm trying to think of where... where... Nope. Pandora. Unfortunately, nope. Okay. Sirius XM does not. Um, they haven't come come around to it yet. I I heart. Yeah, here and there. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's. You know, they're they're in that AAA format. You know, mm-hmm. and, and that's mm-hmm. not really a huge format right now. But I think it's in a good enough spot where we can exist in certain markets. I mean, there's some cities where, you know, there are songs on you know two two albums ago that are still getting you know four spins a day and then there's some stations that'll get one spin a month so uh, you know it, it honestly really depends i mean people especially this past year you know the band kind of took some time off and they're doing their own thing um but you know we'll see what happens next year you know mm-hmm. and what about international do you do much uh overseas yeah, other countries do, you mentioned mexico they're, yeah they're, they you know in the uk they do pretty well touring wise mm-hmm. um even Australia, they've been there twice, and um, they're with the Smith Street Band opening up for them, and that, that sold out, and then they just did a headline a couple uh, Januarys ago, and that sold out. So tickets-wise, they do great. 
you know, they're always doing well. Um, I think media is just, you know, a couple of years behind on them, which mm-hmm. is fine. You know, it's okay. We're not, you know, we're not ones to like force things down anyone's throats. It's just people take time to come around, you know, it's fine. And when you go to somewhere like Australia, is that, well, we're not going to make as much money as we would in the U.S., but it's good to go down there and help develop that market. We may break even. But and I know you said they're selling tickets, but it's just so expensive to go down there. Oh yeah, you know it's so expensive to actually, absolutely. But it is important because they have fans down there, and that's what they care about most. You know, they want it's like they don't they hate being away from somewhere too long enough because you know they want to go down there and have a good show, and they want people to enjoy it. And is and always said from their shows are always like their big like their big parties, so. Um, you know they're they're concerned about that too. Is Andrew booking that for you internationally, or is there a different agent who's handling international for you? Andrew is handling Australia. Mm-hmm. Ed Sellers is handling um, Europe. Okay, I got you. And where do you play when you're in Australia? What what cities? Um, this last tour, they did, you know, pretty much all the main ones. Um, uh, let's try and find this routing. I mean, basically, you know, Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane. Um, I think we did Canberra. Um, you know, pretty much all the the markets that actually can have have shows. We did. <laughs> um, and we're trying to figure out what we want to do. You know, in the next couple of years. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's only you know about eight cities that you can play shows in over there. So which is kind of weird because it's like a huge, huge country. But there's only so many places to play. Yeah. Okay. Oh, here is another tweet for you that Denzel's going to read. Um, Ava wants to know, um, she wanted to ask in regards to social media, what you believe is key to building an artist's image? And how does an artist set a solid foundation to grow from there? I personally think that any artist should be themselves and be honest on there. Like, I think my favorite person to follow was Mac DeMarco before he had completely disappeared off social media because he was doing the weirdest stuff, but it was him. Like, you knew it was him. You know what I mean? And and I think even the Front Bottoms try and do that. Um, they're not as active on socials, and that's they do that on purpose because that's just their style. They're not ones to, like, be over the top. Um, but to me personally, I think it's, it's smart to just honestly be yourself. And if that is posting 15 times a day and being like, you know, overly over content, that's fine. I mean, that's, that's your style, but if that's what you do and you're like that all year round and, and, and you're honest about it, then that's cool. I, I personally think that organic follows are 10 times better than just forcing likes, you know, I think just being yourself and when you when you actually have something to say, I think the right the right audience is going to listen, and that's what you should be concerned about. Mm-hmm. Now, you specifically have a very complete LinkedIn profile, and uh, what has made you keep up with that all these years? Honestly, I think it's great for um, even if it's something stupid, and you're like looking for a contact somewhere. It's great, you know what I mean? It's like you know if you're like. You know, who the hell is working at Red Bull in Atlanta these days? You know what I mean? Like, you know, if you have a band on tour or something like that. So, I, that, personally, that's why I, I like it because I think it's so much information right in front of your face. You know what I mean? Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. I mean, mm-hmm. I, think it, I think it's a great thing, and I think it's underrated 
for so many people. And totally. you, you don't necessarily have to spend $60 a month for LinkedIn Premium to make it work for you. So um, No, I don't pay for it because I, I think everyone else that uses it for, for, for what I use it for is in the same boat. I don't think they pay for it either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think everyone's just like trying to find a quick contact. You know, you're like, oh, dude, who's in sales at, you know, Who's in radio now in UMG? You're like, I don't even remember. Like, you can look it up real quick and be like, oh, I remember that guy. Like, hung out at South by whatever. So, personally, that's what I use it for. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, no, that, that, no, that's that makes great. sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, talk about analytics that you may be using for the band, whether they're, you know, whether it's Spotify, whether it's uh, Instagram Insights or Facebook Insights or any of the other things. What kind of analytics are you using? to uh, help you determine next steps for the band, where to tour, that kind of thing? Yeah, well, I think right now, you know, even between Spotify and Apple alone, you know, their back-end analytic pages are just absolutely incredible, um, especially with the live, you know, um, and they're now offering audience information, um, not user information, big difference. Um, to me personally, I think I, I thoroughly enjoy using that, especially if you're, like, dropping a new song or, you know, if, you know, if, if I noticed that a song was added to a playlist, say, in Mexico, um, you know, I can go back in there and see if people are listening to the song or, you know, where they are. So I, mostly that I, I use that stuff on, like, a day-to-day basis. Um, you know, I think for right now it's it's about watching how fast particular markets, especially markets where I don't know their worth, is important. You know what I mean? Like, I know they're worth in Chicago and, and, you know, London. Like, I know those. But, like, you know, say maybe Japan. You know what I mean? The band hasn't been there yet. So we're going to hyper-focus on watching that, you know, watching those streams and seeing, you know, are people paying attention to what particular songs. Mm-hmm. Right, okay. Also, and- as you're, like, making new music, you know, it's important to see what people are listening to more and more as you're gaining new fans. Are they listening to the newer stuff? Some of the older stuff, are they listening to both? So I'm trying to understand that. That's cool. Uh, final tweet, because we need to wrap it up then after that. Michael wants to know, how have you been able to learn proper time management skills while working on projects both at Live Nation and with bands you manage, such as the Front Bottoms? Um, just always working, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, it's, it's, the days are long. But I think, you know, especially in, you know, 20s and 30s, everybody should be, um, you know, working very hard. It's, it's, you never know what's going to happen tomorrow, and you never know if, if, you know, a company could sell or a band could break up, or you never know what's going to happen. So to me personally, I, I, I honestly am just, I, I work a lot. And I think, especially with the management stuff, it's, you've been doing it so long that it's kind of just natural to me. It's just literally part of my every single day. Mm-hmm. You can ask my girlfriend. You can ask my family. It's just, it is just a part of of my life. So mm-hmm. I think when you get to that point, it's not even considered work anymore. It's just, you know, kind of who you are. And you could probably ask a ninety percent of people in the music industry that have been doing it for, you know, at least over ten years. They'll probably say the same thing. We're going to ask. We're going to ask. We're uh, going to start with your parents. Then we're going to go to the girlfriend. Then we're going to ask ninety percent. We're going yeah. to find out. Fuck. Yeah, you should. We we will. Don't don't don't. We're calling your bluff. We're doing it. But we got to go. We got to thank you so much. Yes, we must do some wrapping. Yes. Buck, thank, thank you, you so so thank much you. for yes. doing this. We really thank appreciate you. it. Excellent. Of course, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks, man. Okay. Michael Buck Crowell.
Thank you. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. Cool. Okay. Denzel Garrick, thank you so much for being here. It was my pleasure. Woo! Woo, woo, woo. Ashley Velter, behind the glass. There's no glass, but behind there. Thank you for being German. Woo! Yes. She can sign in German. That's the greatest thing about her. Uh, my co-host, getting ready right now. That's your costume for tomorrow? Yes, I'm wearing my costume now. I'm... And if I may uh, tell our listening audience what you're wearing? Please do, or what okay. I'm not wearing. <laughs> well, I don't know that. <laughs> but where did you get that giraffe costume? I uh, built it myself in Woodshop. Ah. Yeah, back in high school. Those were the days. And how long is that neck? Uh, it's 17 feet. You're bragging? Y- yeah, and it's uh, four feet wide as well. And it's okay. usable. It's It's got real... Real uh, washable, yeah, <laughs> exactly. In, yeah. in the right thing, so we got to thank you for listening. So, at the end of every show, we do not say hello, do we? You know what we say at the end of every show, Denzel? Do you have any idea what we say? I don't think you've heard a show before. Do we? So. We don't say hello, that'd be silly, wouldn't it? Do be? we? We do. What we say at the end of every show is <sighs> <sighs> <Pick or treat. laughs>